0: Welcome to another installment of the Evolution Exchange podcast. Today I'm joined by Johannes, Matt and Hugo. Before we delve deeper into the topic that we're talking about today, let's work our way around the room with some small introductions. Uh, Matt, do you want to kick us off?
1: Absolutely. Um, I'm Matt Lightfoot. I'm the lead producer at at Jaeger Developments here in Berlin, working on the cycle frontier.
2: Brilliant, Hugo. Uh, So I'm with you. I work for Spieltfabrik as project manager Okay, so SplitFabrik has uh, described itself as a video game ecosystem catalyst. So we are trying to um, improve the the video the, the game ecosystem in Europe. So basically, we have different events, but we also perform um, studies and research uh, on the video game industry, on finding funding our video games, and also
3: another part is uh, bringing video games and esports into scene. Perfect. And uh, last but not least, Johannes? Yeah, thanks. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm Johannes, one of the co-founders of Reignite. Reignite is a platform or app helping people to connect with the right teammates before they start their favorite multiplayer game. We are the first platform connecting um, game statistics from a favorite game, also with personality traits, hobbies and stuff like that. And uh, one of our USPs is to display them in the form of a digital card deck. And you match with other people over this card deck, and yeah, we have a lot of growth in the last few weeks, and people are enjoying the game cards, and yeah, looking forward to it, and reducing toxicity in online matchmaking.
1: Hi everyone, this is Chris Bennett here, the Nordic Managing Director here at Evolution. Thank you so much for listening, and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast.
0: So now that we've got a bit of a context to everyone who's on the podcast today, let's move on to the topic in focus. So you've all got a question or a statement on how games can positively impact the world around us. So we're going to go away, go around the room, sorry, asking everyone to pose their question and the reasons behind it. Uh, so you're all going to have your own uh take on the situation and you're going to have the time to talk about that Uh, so the first question that we're going to go with today is Johannes
3: yeah great Uh, thank you my question was um, basically um, can we address uh, toxic behavior in online games uh, especially multiplayer games and how development teams and also companies like reignite can address uh, toxic toxic behavior in online games right and yeah, this is basically uh, the question I came with today, and I would be glad to hear your opinion, guys, about your experience, uh, f- first of all, with toxic behavior, and then I can kind of dive a little bit deeper and how I think we sh- why we should reduce toxic behavior in, in total. You want to start, Matt, or
1: you feel free to take it away, Hugo?
2: Well, I think it's a very hard subject, but uh, I mean, at least there are some good initiators. Uh Recently, Ubisoft and uh, Riot Games decided to, to uh, partner to um, including uh, uh, artificial intelligence to uh, to fight against toxicity. But the problem is, it's, it's really hard for them because the more they have players, uh, the better it, it is for them. But the more they have players, the more toxicity you have as well. So it's like problematic, I would say, for the companies. And also, it's it's hardly predictable for some games because yeah, it really depends on the community you bring on the games. You have younger uh, people; they will be way more toxic than older uh, older people, I would say. Because I, I mean, I, I'm an online player myself, and I'm also, for example, like a festival player. And basically, they they attract uh, older people. And so there is less toxicity, even though there is still but for the most famous game, it's really I think it's really hard to manage that and to control that. Um, but I think artificial intelligence could be something that would greatly help to um to clean the toxicity. Oh,
3: thank you. Nice. Right. I,
1: I, I think that really we need to start on the framing of the question, like this where the true politician in me comes out is like what does toxic behavior actually look at look like and and to me that that varies really depending on the game um you know if i look back to my time playing eve some of the times where you know i was figuring out when other um you know key officers in in other corps were were going to be picking their kids up from school or doing things in their real life so we knew when to attack that is very toxic in hindsight but at the time it was it was the meta game um and actually you know you look at Daisy where you would kill somebody just for their things and you would ruin several hours of their playtime just so you can benefit a small amount Um, and then you also have you know the call of duty lobbies right and like these are different levels and and i think that you know it really depends on what's the problem you're trying to address in the game experience you know and and i i I agree hugo i think that ai could pose an interesting solution to some of these problems but also we need to make sure that the models and and the the learning framework there is actually using the right thing to ground it um i am a bleeding heart libertarian and i would hate to think that you know we were actually imposing our views on everyone just because you know i might disagree with something but that doesn't mean that they shouldn't be allowed to say it um and 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 actually there i think it's got to our approach to it and how that we we would approach it depends on the the game that we're making for us at Jaeger, like we look at it from, we've got community managers who, they actively ban people when they're, you know, offensive and toxic. Um, but then we also have in, game methods of being able to detect, you know, other types of toxic behavior like cheating or, you know, um, stream sniping and these sorts of things that are just simply not fair. Um, cause if you take the wider definition of toxic, it's, it's, you know, something that's venomous and it's gonna, it's intent to harm, um. So for me, it's like we've just got a multi, multi-level multi approach to it. But Hannes, you've specifically framed your question around Reignite. Um, I guess it'd be about bringing people together, you know, and actually forming those friendships, I think.
3: I think um, I didn't want to frame it around Reignite, but um, when you said uh, it was basically we needed multiple solutions to solve toxicity, because it also comes from different perspectives, as you mentioned. And, yeah, for for example, um, a lot of people, if you play, um, I think, talked about Riot and uh, League of Legends, one of the biggest MOBAs out there, um, people pressing the report button also in Valorant and they don't have the feeling something happens after it, and this is the main problem. Um, and before we started Reignite, just to give an example, we found like 15 different studies that people don't feel re- pressing the report button helps them. And most likely 20% of the gamers playing online multiplayer will drop out of the game because negative experience. And more than 10% have depressive or suicidal thoughts. You have to think about it. This is not a... Uh, digital problem or a internet problem? It's a real world problem because people sitting at home and cry because they were flamed, blamed, whatever. And it, yeah, the the simple forms is just I get a negative chat or a negative voice chat, even worse. But think about doxing and all on uh, and swatting and whatnot happens in online games. Is the, the Twitch made it possible, right? So there's a lot of stuff happening and. I think, yes, AI will be a solution for that. Also, um, building around how we can uh, uh, detect toxic behavior, but it's um, from a company point of view. And, Matt, I don't know if you resonate about it, but you need players for your game because they spend money in your game. So, um, I think from a game developer's perspective, you have to balance it and it's very hard to balance because you can't ban everyone because nobody will play your game and pay spend money in the game. And so you have to see, okay, I don't I don't want to kill my target audience, but I also want to um, give the good players or the positive players a better platform to play with each other. And this is why, yes, and this was a bit strange because I think, and this is, uh, or we think with Reignite, okay, it's not only about, um, yeah, Detecting toxicity because you won't change people's mentality, and we don't, and reading we also don't believe we can't change people, right? But we think, okay, what makes online multiplayer game, games toxic? Okay, some, sometimes just people have a bad day or something like that, but it's also Coming from different interests, right? Some people want to climb the ladder and want to get, play rank and play good, and sometimes you just get home, want to play one game, relax from a hard working day. And these are total different targets, and for sure they will crash and one with that flaming because the other person does not do what you want him to do. And yeah, so creating complementary teams with same behavior or also okay we don't need five alphas in a team we don't need five leaders but matchmaking algorithms don't think about okay is this a leader person what kind of personality traits this person have and so from my point of view yes we need a lot of different solutions but from a personality perspective you can give the individual
1: person i think a way better gaming experience I- I, I think just to touch on one thing that you actually, that you, that you said as part of that is, I actually think games can change people, specifically online experiences. And, and, and I think that really this is around empathy. Um, you know, that one of the joys of us being able to, you know, magically play against the, you know, people on the other side of the world is that, you know, um, I could be sat in my house in the UK and I could play against somebody on, um, in argentina right and for those of you that are up on recent history britain and argentina haven't always been best of friends um but actually i don't know where they're from really in most games and and actually i can build friendships with people that i would have never have met in in real life irl and and actually we can build empathy and connections between our lives through this this single game that we have in common and and I think that the more connected that we make the world through these these touch points, like, hey, maybe then we spark up a friendly conversation about something that we would normally disagree on, and we can we can start to build um, empathetic relationships. So that is impossible, I think, to prove scientifically. Um, but but you know when we when we look at changing behaviour, I think if we reward players that do act well. And do build these things from a video game perspective. If we can encourage people to to, to work cooperatively, um within our natural human instincts, we're a pack animal, so we can really play on that. Um, but I feel that also, you know, that as you as you mentioned, like the 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 user the, the user story around reporting and the not being a perception that there's a challenge there is there's two sides. To that is, companies should be upfront with what happens with reports. Maybe you know, if you reported someone you don't get here about whether they were banned or not but you know they're upfront with it's reviewed by this person and these these are the things that they consider it's upfront um, you also raised a really good point around psychology as well and and people with um, you know mental health challenges um, um, I'll be quite candid and I think we do bugger all in the industry for this and I think that's really, that's I believe that we have a moral imperative um, with what we do Um, to look after people's mental well-being as well. And I would really love to see some communities and and industry um, groups set up to be able to look at how do we tackle this as an industry because it's not one company's problem, it's all of us. Um, And, you know, Peggy, ESRB, they all started as like small startup ventures and then they became a standard. Um, And if we could have things like that where, you know, if 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 you're playing online as an online game, you're you also are signposted to mental health resources, and you know, in the UK, you're signposted to someone that you can phone up if you're having if you are having suicidal thoughts um, because of your experience.
2: I, I just wanted to to about something because we talked about community and um, defining toxicity map before, and uh, I, and reminding me something uh, pretty interesting. A good initiative uh, on Dota Two, uh, you can so you can uh, report being gained the people. And then uh, other players can review the game and then give, say, if um, the person is guilty or not. So it's really involved in the community because, yeah, as you said, it's really hard to define toxicity. And for example, there is a French streamer. Uh, he got banned uh, on League of Legends, and he asked to be unbanned. Uh, he made a ticket to um, to Riot Game France because he just said "loser." He just said, "It's a guy, you a loser." And friends and friend say, no, we don't accept that. And he made a ticket to um, le- uh, to write games uh, like English, like UK. I don't know where it was based. And they say, oh, yeah, OK, well, you're in that. So it's really hard to define toxicity, but why not leaving the community say what is toxic or not, what they would like to see or not, and propose people to review games and maybe for a small reward into the game and say, OK, what do you think of this? Would you like to play with this kind of player? Yes or not? And maybe involving more the community will help to reduce the toxicity.
3: Yeah, yeah, I absolutely resonate with this. I'm a um, Dota 2 player, for example, also, and I know the Overwatch system behind it. Um, and sometimes, but um, you see, it's also one solution to a bigger problem, right? Because you have to review every replay of the game, even if you just get snapshots. You have to spend around 10 to 15 minutes of your player time to review um, re- um, bad behavior, right? And thinking about how many toxic behavior happens, uh, even if I do every evening reviewing my five uh, replays I get on Overwatch, it won't address the problem in total, right? And, but, um, yeah, I'm absolutely, uh, I absolutely think community, right? The building, the community, and this is also what we are trying or already have, like, 150,000 people community now. Um, concerning, okay, how we can can help each other also on the Discord server and stuff like that, bringing people together and listening to the to the target audience and the community will help us develop a better product in the end, even a game or, as I said, our app or whatnot. Um, it's just about listening what the people want and giving them. The yeah also the power right to to address toxic behavior by their own. Sometimes it's not fair. We all know this. For example, if you play a uh, yeah let let's talk about Dota. If you alone and a four, with a four player stack and four players report you and you think oh why why got a ban now? It's not sometimes it's not really fair because or for the single person it doesn't feel right to be banned in this situation. So. Um, uh, to give people the power is good, but also, it, um, as I said, it has to come from different uh, angles, and as I said, also from the game developer, because um, it, we all know sometimes democracy works and sometimes not. So, <laughs> um, yeah, we. I just wanted to say, I think the community idea is great, and we with Reignite build around the community, but also you have to come back to some different ratings and uh, you mentioned, Matt, like rating people or rating the match afterwards can help people or um, building kind of bubbles, you know, positive people, okay, this was a negative person. Does, had, ju- did he just have had a bad day and was cause of that a bad person or um, does he more often be negative in-game? So, um, I think uh, data is the key
1: for us all um uh, to to address toxic behavior but but then do we not stray very very close to the chinese social score system um because that that makes me feel a little uncomfortable personally like i i hugo you mentioned the case where you know a, a a french live streamer had called someone a loser right on and and actually like hey, that's maybe not the nicest thing to say, and that guy is a bit of an arse, probably. But um, the world isn't necessarily always, like, hugs and kisses and rainbows. And and, and maybe actually, you know, for me, that would be personally acceptable. Um, Like, you know, it's not nice, and it's not something we want to encourage. um, But actually, whether you would ban them based on that, personally, I'd shy away from. And I, I think that when we talk about AI and data and collecting social scoring based on what people rate you if that automatically triggers responses then we start to we start to stray into a dystopian future that i'll be honest i don't actually know where that stops like not not necessarily just stops but also what do we want to really provide and and rather than using a stick approach i'd be more inclined to go down a carrot approach where hey rather than having a negative scoring system people can give you pluses and they can, they can say, hey, that guy was damn good. Um, this guy is going to be, um, you know, and actually that boosts you and that helps you get in-game rewards. And that can help you with other mechanics. So actually, you're not penalized. You're actually rewarded. Um, my reference point here, if any of you are into hardcore shooters, is a game called Squad. Um, they've got some custom servers where squad is a, a game that is based on squads of soldiers and the squad leader is like the most important role because they place down all your spawn points they build up fortifications and if you've got a rubbish squad leader your game's going to be rubbish so, so some servers when when people have gone in and done a really good job um and someone goes onto discord and and says hey this person was awesome they then get access to um like prioritized seats in the server so when they join next time they skip the queue to join the server and that's a nice way to encourage the good players to come back and it's an encouragement for other people to learn and also other people to follow that behavior as well
3: absolutely um i just want to say um if because we talk about data and uh, punishment right i don't want it to go the direction because we also with reignite we um, we also go with the carrot method, right? So we say if you have a good, it's, we release this feature soon. Um, if you have a good match, you will be rewarded for it, right? Or if you make ha, um, show positive behavior and positive attitude, you get rewarded for it, right? And normally this also should enable negative people to say, okay, why why I was such a bad person today or an us, you're yeah, right, and say, okay, if I do right. I can um, earn my gems, whatever in the game, and and I have a better gaming experience as well from or uh, based only based on my behavior. And even since we started with AI, AI is a way bigger topic, and this is not about what the podcast is about right. But um, a lot of people fear AI or also use the use of big data. But in the same time, it all will come along with moderation, right? So you think about okay. Um, people fear chat, gpt uh, getting jobs, probably, but um, we all can adapt, first of all. And I don't want to uh, uh, get in the corner of social scoring, as I said, like in China happens. It's, it's probably the, the worst end, uh, how we all see us or see the world in the future. But um, using AI to enable positive attitude, this would be the approach we all should think about and we should resonate with. Because AI gives us the opportunity to see or analyze data which would not be possible to be analyzed. And we can see what what happened after a positive game, what happened after a negative game. And we can use this data to help. And as, as I love this carrot analogy. <laughs> uh, I give them the, the carrot, right? And say, okay, yeah, you're positive. Here's something. And we see. Um behaviour pattern after the games and this is what we can
1: uh reward in the end. Matt? You're muted. <laughs> Sorry. I don't know why it why it muted me. Um when we talk about like the big data as well and you talk about the you know the rewarding that behaviour. Personally for me like I love the story side of it as well, is you know, imagine if every single year, um, based on your team fortress like playstyle, it was like you know what? You spent a majority of the time playing the dock and you healed this many players. This is how many players you save from death. And that's a fun statistic, and it's promoting that supportive behavior, and it's pushing people more into that, um, you know, I want to see other people succeed. Um, And those are things that, you know, from a development standpoint, we're never going to spend time doing, but AI could enable us to do.
3: Yeah, so, guys shall we jump on one of your questions because we're sorry I just I I didn't hope I didn't exceed my question or the question about toxic behavior but I think um, I have a lot of notes on the other questions so
0: (laughs) no I I love it when uh, a a question goes on like that it shows that everyone's really passionate about what they're speaking about and so don't don't apologize Johanna there's no problem at all uh, but we'll move it along, yes, because obviously I feel like we could keep on talking for as long as we need to, but there is a time limit.
1: Uh, <laughs> so, Matt, going to jump to your question? Absolutely. So, I will pull up my prompt. So, my question is how can we use video games as a tool to support our young people to be better equipped to tackle the challenges of tomorrow? So, I think. I um, oh, do you want to start, Hugo? Sorry. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I'm doing it, Nudie. I can, sorry, I can. Uh... Well, I can I assure can you, like, the thing is that I used to be a semi-professional player myself, and to be honest, it's really helped me. And it's really helped me to understand better things, to improve in myself, also in my work, etc. Uh, because playing video games, you have different ways, or you can just have fun. Like, you come back from work and do just fun, or you want to uh, improve yourself. And the thing is, basically, it's not like playing 24-7 will help you at all. You need way more than that. You need to be in good conditions, you need to do sports, you need to eat well, sleep well, you need to um, you need to review your games, how to improve, etc. analyze the things. So it's many um I would say skills that you could use for the rest um in your life. And this is really something impor- important that we need to that the players and specifically the professional players need to travel, I think. And um sorry. And yeah, for 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 the, the challenges, I think video games can be seen as a good way as well. And for example, in northern Europe, in some uh, middle school and high schools, they propose esports uh, in in uh, in uh, in the schools instead of uh, with sports or instead of sport. But something most important for me with video games is that it doesn't exc- exclude anyone. Anyone can play video games, even people with disabilities, etc. No one, everyone is equal. In video games and this is something that can that, that should be promoted and yeah uh, it's i would say the contrary of toxicity that we can also find uh
3: in video games absolutely and also um when i was younger um i played a lot of world of warcraft and during that time i was like i think 12 12 13 years old something like that and I was not a very humble person, you know? I w- always was talking about it al- out loud, and um, I played with a lot of older people in my guild, and as soon as I went in the late game content, you know, the typical raiding stuff, and the, during that time Burning Crusade was released, and it, it were great times, but I was not the person, um resonate with the teams, and also, didn't have the right behavior in the first place, uh, how to communicate in the right way with the team. But um, World of Warcraft helped me to develop team leading skills. First of all, because later I was so interested and I played as much to be raid leader in the end. And if you have to organize a raid once a week with 25 people and they have to bring their stuff, they need their supplies, what not to make it work. Yeah. You you have to organize a lot and you have to talk a lot and also as soon as you explain the boss right you also have to do it in a way people can understand it every role needs to understand what they have to do at this moment and stuff like that and you will get better and I got better and this helped me later in my sales position so um, every game. I think that helping you fostering critical thinking and problem solving skills and also team leading skills. And I think this is a great opportunity in every game, and especially if you have to play with people. Yeah,
1: I mean, I'll be honest. Like the reason that I asked the question is I, I volunteer with the scouts. So in Germany, you call it the Fad and 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 I work I work a lot on like digital program of like how can we teach kids digital skills and make them. You know, better leaders and things, and and it's fascinating. Like you t- you were talking about, you know, trying to organize a raid in World of Warcraft. Like, I get it because I I also used to play World of Warcraft, <laughs> and you're teaching kids real skills, and also they're communicating with people across generations as well, um, and from a across backgrounds. Um, so I think that's a really really good point that you have there, um, and and also the the points that you raise, Hugo, about you know being able to like keep on top of your game and and the self-improvement of like where did I not succeed there how can I do better next time is also also really really good um I also love that some of the games that actually teach skills as well like I can't remember what's the game where you've actually basically you' got to use uh co programming to actually uh proceed
3: I don't
1: know Oh, <laughs> uh, Oh, sorry. It's all right. Um, I will find that. Um, but yeah, you're basically you're a you're a thief, and you've got to actually hack all of the terminals and solve the mini puzzles. So you write script to be able to get through the terminals. Um, it is somewhere on my uh, Steam played list three or four years ago, probably. Um, but there are a lot of games like
3: have mechanics kind of in- that probably remember Bioshock where you also have this uh, with the pipes, you know, and, ha- and have to um, solve it in time and stuff like that to get through the door and and hack the gates. And I really love those mechanics because if you also think about it, it encourages curiosity and lifelong learning. Um, it's not also, um, if you think about gaming from this perspective, uh, it enables you to think, get creative in the first place, and also um, curiosity from the perspective I want to learn, I want to get better, right? And um, in multiplayer games, also in single player games I want to get better with my character and you develop with the character because you're tied to it. And I think this is one of the greatest opportunities. And um, from an educational perspective, there are a lot of good educational games out there. but also the normal gaming, normal games, I would say, uh, which are more like uh, entertainment product in the in the first place, help people to develop those skills. And I think, um, for example, um, and when it comes down to um, learning in the game, you have to think about also. Um, creating empathy, when you talk about as, coming back to World of Warcraft, because about empathy, right, and cross, cross-cultural cross understanding, you made the be- a good example in the first place with um, British person meets Argentinic person, and this would never happen without the game, right? You, you learn to um, get in touch with other cultures, other behaviors, and um, across ages, and as I said, I was uh, another humble person. I uh, I was humbled by the older ones, and uh, this helped me to to be a business person afterwards. I think this is a great opportunity for all of us. Yeah. Um. I just want to jump on something. It's
2: you talked about curiosity to games, like exploring, like, using your brain to, to to solve the game. And I completely agree with it because yeah, when we when we we're younger, when we we're stuck uh, on a puzzle or something, we had to try, try, try again. But I have a little brother, and he's uh he's 13, and actually the thing is he's not curious at all. Once he's stuck, he's going on the internet, he finds a solution, and he's not using his brain at all. And that I think this is a problem. It's the way you you play the game, and that's why you need like a strong education from either from uh, streamers, professional players, but also parents. Just take a look at what their children are doing, and uh, and maybe even in the school. It's like how do you address playing? How do you how do you play the game? Do you use your brain? Do you try to improve, it? or are you just finding a solution? You are just looking at a video and doing the same thing, or playing ten hours a day, etc. It's really about yeah
3: playing right, playing in a good way the, the the video games. Yeah, kind of giving the frame right, giving a frame from for as it from probably from the parents to say okay, my 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 child does this and that, and I, if you want, yeah, it's it's because. Um, Having my internet connection back, playing World of Warcraft. It was so damn slow. If you opened the browser in and, and the background, you couldn't Google something, right? So, so um, that this was my problem back in the days, and I never had this problem, or we never had this problem because we didn't have an. When in- well, the first time we got DSL was back in two thousand seven or eight, so we had very very late internet at home, <laughs> and so. I we played a lot of uh, games. We just can download and play on the PC on our own, <laughs> and this is this is exactly what you meant. Um, you you didn't have had the possibility to cheat <laughs> and go and Google and Google solution or on YouTube and whatnot. But um, yeah, people, uh, parents, other people around the younger persons should give them uh, advice and also give them the frame to to try more, to, to be curious, try it, try it again, and find the solution to the problem. As, as I said, as soon as they just uh, start Google or just watch a video on YouTube, um, I think it also takes a little bit away from the entertainment part of the game, at least from my point of view, because if I play a game I want to be entertained, and if I just want to have the solution right in front of me, uh, the YouTube video, okay. Then I just can watch a streamer playing the game and I'm also happy. But if I play a game, I want to solve something. I want to achieve something on my own. And this is this is ve- a very interesting question um, because does the younger generation want to achieve something with this, or do they achieve, want to achieve something? I think it's all about challenges. Uh, it's all about challenges.
2: If the challenge is too high. They they get bored too quick, too pick too quickly. Else, like, yeah, because they, they yeah, they need to, they want to win. Basically, they want to win. They, they don't, they don't want to play just to have fun. They want to win every time. From, from what I thought, because I have, yeah, I have four siblings and, uh, younger siblings. And also even we organized, actually we organized, um, two small events in Berlin, uh, in the cinema. So we, we organized like a small casual tournament on an a, indie game. And uh, so we made two events, one for like teenagers, 10 to 15, and one for adults. And then we, we well, we, we gave a questionnaire and such. And yeah, like children, when they lose, they're angry and they don't like it. And they want to play also. While adults, like just c- coming, having fun, laughing, l- looking at the tournament without playing it was perfect. But children, they want to play. They don't care about, uh, they don't think about that. And that's why I think parents are really important. They need to accompany when when their children are playing, make sure that they are playing the right way. So it's really about the education for younger uh, uh, audiences. Yeah, you want to say something?
3: Or should we jump on the next one? Did you find the game map?
2: <laughs>
1: yes, I did. It was called Hacknet and then Shenzhen IO. Hacknet was the one that I was uh, thinking of. Um, both are slightly masochistic when you play them. Um, but, but even, even like, I mean, I've, I've been part of a team that partnered with Raspberry Pi Foundation um, that allowed kids to be able to build stuff off Raspberry Pis and the amount of them that instantly turn to games, right? Um, and it's being able to spark that, like, interest in STEM and, like, engineering and, and, you know, through something that they're excited about. Cool, I can make a game. Making a game is probably easier... To make simple things than it's ever been. Um, uh, more difficult to do AAA projects, but um, but actually the 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 barrier to entry is a lot lower. Um, so you know if we can interest kids in being able to do you know become more programmers, then it's well, it would certainly help me in hiring them. Absolutely, absolutely, I,
3: I I totally understand. And also um, thinking about uh, interesting them in programming, right? Um, and also the challenges of tomorrow. I think the biggest challenges of tomorrow will be solved through programming because the biggest challenges we have are all will be in the digital digital future. And so programming will be a basic skill to solve the big problem. I think uh, that
0: wraps up that question perfectly, to be honest. Uh, So on to the next question uh, with Hugo. Um, yeah, I feel like that point at the end there, Johannes, we can do probably a whole podcast just on that. Uh, <laughs> so we will get started onto that one right this second, but Hugo, are you ready for your question?
2: Yeah. So my question is quite, uh, and so I, first I don't have the answer, it's uh, more general, but uh, the idea is like, how can we better link positive impact and profitability? And basically because when we look at the top played games, etc, there is nothing cultural um, inside the game. You don't learn anything by playing. If you think I don't, about Candy Crush or things, it's built um, based on like addictions, like getting people addicted to the game and bringing. Uh, and it's just because, of course, companies are private structures and they want to make money. So so how can we better link and who could improve that? Is it public funds or something like that? But how can we make uh, cultural gains and profitability uh, being better together.
3: Yeah, I got a lot of notes on this because uh, I think this is a very interesting question because um, it was funny because uh, like two or three months ago I thought about the question um, is it important to be an impact company? Um, is it important to have an impact mission to raise money from VCs and what, whatever, right? So, um a lot of people want impact today um, and I think um, creating impact, you need to solve a problem to create impact in the first place. Because you, if you're nobody and say, okay, I, give me five million dollars and I, and I solve the world hunger problem nobody i I don't know if somebody will give you five million, probably if you sell it in a good way, but it will never be enough money to solve this problem um but um a linking a positive impact and profitability is possible in a way I think you have to think about um you first of, if let's talk about a company because um it's incorporate you need to incorporate this. And also in a sustainable and social responsible way in the business operations, in the decision-making process. For example, if you're building a gaming product, you have to think about what kind of co- gaming developer we want to be in the first place. And then you say, okay, what kind of game I develop? Do I develop a Web3 game, for example? Um, Helping to reduce the CO2 emissions in the world. By every pl- tree I plant in the game, I reduce uh, CO2 emission. For example, and then you have an idea connecting positive impact with profitability. It's um it's always tied to something because profitability means okay you may- need to make a living, and from a Game developer perspective, if you're just doing it as a side business and have your full-time job and do it on a weekend, fine. Then you can also create um, a lot of uh, impact by a small project, probably will take longer. But but as company, you have to think about, okay, how I can connect, as I said, business operations with the product and also create a positive impact as a side
1: business, you know, like in, in, in parallel, in parallel, this is the right i i mean first of all Hannah, like i completely agree with what you say right is that the focus has to be on how can we at least stay afloat before we can really consider positive impact because for me is i get far more now out of positive impact than i do out of money as like a personal motivator but i still need a salary to uh, you know be able to pay german rent i think you know you hugo you also mentioned a point around cultural games um I feel very strongly that I think games grants from governments are generally just terrible, terrible mechanics with really, really odd bars. I mean, in, in, in Germany, I know that, you know, you can have a German cultural game and quite frankly, people just game the system to get free money towards development. It's not really about making cultural games. It's just how can we get money to make our game? Um, and i I think that you know really when we look at the cultural aspect that's probably one side but uh, but actually i think that you know really governments need to be very pragmatic with okay well how can we make this system really solve the problems that we want to and and i think that personally the 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 funding for games projects should actually be reorientated away from promoting um cultural projects and promoting you know um art method or uh, you know art them them as pieces of art rather than them promoting the skills and they should focus on the jobs created because actually i think that you know for a government for a country for an area or a region being able to bring in programmers build skills build creativity the art will come with it um and actually, if you can build up successful game studios through funding, the positive impact comes from having those really smart, really creative people in your area. Um, that's, I mean, the last couple of studios that I've joined um, have really thought, when, when we've been establishing other studios, we've been looking at where do we build a studio to bring the talent in, rather than where would we like one. Um, you know, because because actually the talent is one of the biggest restraining factors in the industry right now, especially getting the best. Um, and and then if you can support those people to be able to create positivity around, you know, your actual establishment of your company, like Hannah had said, you know, you can also look at volunteering days with something we had at Playground or, um, you know, donation matching. If you do something for charity, they'll match it. Um, and being able to really promote what the values that you want to see.
3: Yeah, ab- absolutely, absolutely. It's also one of my bullet points. To be honest, you have to, if you do something good, you have to promote it with transparency and also with some kind of accountability. Yeah. So as as company, you are accountable in some kind of reporting of the positive impact you created. Because if you talk about impact, uh. There's a lot of fraud out there also and just people say we make positive impact, but they don't do. And positive impact, I think if you want to create real positive impact, you also need to be honest, you need to be clear with the target you have, and then people will f- start following you. It's also about creating a community again and people believe in your in your mission. but. Um, if you just say, yeah, we we we're this business, and this is also, um, I'm glad you mentioned it, the uh, German Gamesförderung and the public funding you get. It's a very horrible instrument in terms of, yeah, we you give you money, we just develop a game because then the people get the salary, very great, but it's not focused and and. Anyway, the German government got no idea how to develop a good game. The studios have. But they are put in a frame and then they have to deliver. And this comes with pressure. And as soon as something happens under pressure, um, it, it won't be a good thing at all. And we have, I I hope in the, in the near future, I really hope that politics and organizations start seeing games as an opportunity to create positive impact on people, as I said, with mental health, and learning, and education, all this around it. And we need their support, because even a lot of people don't know that gaming developers uh, are one of the audience um, employees, and audience also, which earn way less than a normal programmer in the web uh, part and stuff like that. So. They decide to earn less money uh, on them, on a lot of them at least. Not everyone, but a lot of them decide to earn less money because they want to develop games instead of going into a typical company, creating a logistic software and whatnot. And they, this is what kills creativity, right? This kills creativity as soon as you feel limited, as I said, from a financial perspective, and you can't create a positive impact as soon as you just look on your own. Because if you just have to look on your own, you can't be positive for the
1: world. I mean, I I, I would expand on that. And like, I think that, you know, when we look at governments as well is, um, I also think this is an industry problem by pet peeve is our lobby group in the UK is called Yuki. None of their staff members have direct development experience. Um, you know, they've gone in because they have a passion for games that it's kind of like any lobbyist. Um, if you don't really know the business you're selling, um, kind of hard to push the the real the real benefits. And and then you know when you look at the board, it is a who's who of British you know games industry people. Um, but actually, you know where's the results? And actually, the politicians that are in are in office also have no idea about how things are made because they're kind of not playing games anymore. And if um, because obviously they don't have time but also the demographics different and and i think that really like if we also look at gamification generally um you know the other side is also my latest frivolous purchase was uh, a, a a bike trainer a wahoo bike trainer and i've got an app called swift that i think is a game because it gamifies you cycling indoors against other people and like we were talking about toxicity earlier, everybody gives you thumbs up. No one's mean on it, right? Everyone's really positive. It's like, oh, you beat your personal record. Congratulations! And actually, gamification is great for helping educate people. So when we're talking about games in general, if we can show the benefit of games towards to a government and to to a, a, you know a governance organization, then actually we can expand the definition of the industry, and and that way I think we actually get people listening to us more and they're more likely to implement funds to be able to set up programmers establish more studios fund greater knowledge of the industry um, rather than this kind of uh, fiber optic fagan approach to any technology um you know i i the the local government like i spoke to a couple of MPs around software and none of them have a clue at all about how even you know software development programs were never mind video games it's like oh the newfangled call of duty and they just don't know the industry and we're growing now faster than movies and and music so it would be really nice to have an effective lobbying wing
3: absolutely and then we can develop and market games that have positive and environmental impact and Uh, yeah promote them for the social cause so this this would give the industry the opportunity to create something because i'm glad you mentioned it the movie industry and a lot and also the music industry they talk about a lot of emotion in in songs a lot of people and artists talk about what they are gone through and also movies show a lot of emotion and games absolutely have the same Games can do this, and also games uh, can help people learn more about the nature, for example, and how we can use CO2 emissions, to come back to my example in the first place. And it would be great if everyone out there, and also the governments, would see gaming as an opportunity to shape the future and give the, also the, especially the younger generation, uh, I, an idea behind uh, bigger things and uh, constructs they might don't understand in the rage but you can uh, use gamification to help understand bigger problems
1: there's also a few really really interesting studies um around other positive benefits of gaming um, one is around chronic pain so chronic pain is a type of pain that you know it's not necessarily always caused by something like someone could be an amputee and have have pain in a limb that doesn't exist which is phantom pain but it, chronic pain is you wake up and you're in pain you're in pain all day, every day. And and there was a study done around people that have um, chronic pain, and they used virtual reality in a series of U.S. hospitals. And what they found was that um, chronic, pe- chronic pain was better managed for the treatment regimes than using opioid painkillers repeatedly um, because the disassociative effect of VR um, was more effective than ramping up opioid doses because when you get to a certain level of opioids you need to cut them back because you can become reliant and they lose effectiveness and actually when we look at that of a oh why doesn't a hospital have some form of vr um you know to be able to help manage these things and i think there's a lot of use cases that if we really look into the psychology and dispel some of the myths like all of the studies that suggest uh uh uh, correlation between video games and violence have all been debunked now. Um, and and actually there doesn't seem to be any direct link. Um, beyond anything, you know, apart from mostly it's a male audience. Males tend to be more violent. Um, there's no direct link around video game use. So if we could also do that, I think that would also help us be able to show the benefit to governments and then also boost the profitability as well and impact. Great conclusion. <laughs>
0: Yeah, I was just about to jump in, and uh, I think we'll leave it there. So this has been the Evolution Exchange Podcast. I want to take this opportunity to thank Johannes, Hugo, and Matt for providing their insights into a topic. Uh, and thanks, everyone, for listening. If you'd like to get involved in one of the upcoming podcasts, reach out to me on LinkedIn or by email at jordanloundevolution at nordicscom and we will see you all next time.